Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Regenerative by Design podcast, where we will be getting to the root of health, climate, economics, and food. I am your host, Joni Kinwell-Moore. I'm an RN, an ethnobotanist, and the founder of Snacktivist Foods. Join me on this journey as we explore the ideas, stories, and personalities behind the regenerative food system movement. Food is the connection between people and planet. In a world where pandemics, climate change, and war have made us feel so disconnected and vulnerable, regenerative agriculture has become a powerful force for positive transformation and hope. Here, regenerative thought leaders share how agriculture and food design can create a more resilient system. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us today on the Regenerative by Design podcast. I'm Joni Kinwell-Moore. I'm your host. And um, today we've got two friends joining us, which is going to be fantastic. We have Scott Gale, who is an interesting guy. He's a... um, I'd say jack of all trades, um, Scott, and works at the Spokane Conservation District, runs our biofarming group, which is one of my favorite things that's happening here in the Inland Northwest, but has had a really interesting life and done a lot of cool things. And we're also going to have Derek Axton joining us today, too, Saskatchewan farmer, champion of the regenerative movement, and of course, like most farmers, usually running a few minutes late because they're in the middle of a project or trying to get back to better Wi-Fi. So Eric's gonna, Derek's going to jump in later, um, but we're going to get started and welcome Scott and hear a little bit about you know how he got to where he is today. How's it going, Joni? Hopefully you can hear me okay. Um, yeah. I work, uh, I work full time for the Spokane Conservation District and I'm the biofarming manager. What the hell is that? Um, we basically <laughs> got a group of, uh, you know, the story, but we'll let the rest of them know. We, we, you know, basically in big ag, we've done it the same way for quite a long time. And then, um, over the, oh, probably five, six years ago, I started having conversations with my buddies and all my buddies are large farmers and there is no average in agriculture anymore. Um, you know, I have friends that farm 2,500 acres and I have friends that farm 15,000 acres. And, and I just started asking them what there's got to be a better, because we kept having failures and we kept having problems and we kept having to use more herbicide, weed resistant weeds, um, we don't have a huge insect problem in the Pacific Northwest because we're a dry climate. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so uh, I just started having conversations. There has to be a better way. And then interestingly enough, I had enough conversations with enough guys. I'm like, hmm, I'm not a smart guy, but I am a thinker. And maybe we should get all these guys in a room. So we, if, if I had had a conversation with you in the past where you expressed any interest on doing something in, different, and these are all large, successful farmers, um, we invited them to get into a room and round table this thing. And we started our, I called it originally our mastermind group based off of uh, think and grow rich from Napoleon Hill. Everybody should read that book. Um, and we started this biofarming group and we just sat around and we had to figure out what are we trying to do and what we'll do different. And the biggest part of that was um, our original goal was how do we cut chems in half, just cut chemistry in half. It was yeah. never to be organic. Um, when we're throwing it out, I have nothing against organic whatsoever. Um, uh, maybe a few issues with the standards board, but that's a whole different con- podcast. And, um, <laughs> but, um, we just started that process and then it's turned into quite an interesting, um, evolution. This is our fourth year together. And we started out with 12 guys and, 
and now we're up to 26 guys, then we directly own or lease, directly control right at 150,000 acres. We do all up to this point, really all self-funded trials. We do trials over thousands of acres. We started out at 10 acre shots and um, now we do thousands of acres of different things, different technology. We've cut our chemistry and crop chemistry in half this year doing yes. um, just with uh, technology. Yeah. Um, we've, we're doing tremendous amounts of stuff to buffer off bad, you know, and conventional fertilizer to buffer off the bad and feed the good, get microbes back in this. Because um, quite honestly, I, I do a fair amount of talks and I usually started out with this. Um, only microbes are going to get us out of this deal. Yeah. So we need, we need to figure out how to biology, right? And so yep. we have to stop killing the damn things and we have to start giving them a good place to live and yes. we have to start feeding them. And if we would grasp that concept and let them go to work for us all the time, um, I don't know the, the breadth of this podcast that, you know, there, will there be everybody from, and, and I, I always don't hold this against me. I always call him Susie Soccer Mom. You know, the Susie, is Susie Soccer Mom going to listen to this all the way to, uh, you know, one of my best friends who farms 15,000 acres south of town to consumers, to food companies. But I'm relatively certain if you don't know, I'll let you in on a little secret. Everything, not something, everything comes to us in the back of a truck with diesel fuel. Yeah. And um, that diesel fuel shortage is coming around the corner. I mean, mm -hmm. it's absolute insanity, but um, it's even making mainstream news now. So yeah. you have fertilizer problems. Fertilizer's gone up, oh, two and a half times since last year. Chems are up three, three and a half times since last year. And now we're going to run, and diesel fuel's double, and now yeah. we're going to run out. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I so, do. It's a recipe for I, a big problem. Absolutely. So everything I do at the with the biofarming group is is geared towards efficiency. Um, mm -hmm. My deal is is I don't talk about units of nitrogen. I mean, I do, but um, I don't talk <laughs> about it in that in that aspect. I talk about calories, and mm -hmm. everything is calories. The plant has to have calories. Only plants are going to get us out of this. Um, we have a full yeah. court press. Um, this will tip a lot of people over. I hope so. But we have a full court <laughs> press putting cattle back on to production crop ground as a yes. rotation year, taking on the top dry land wheat production ground in the world, taking yeah. it out of cereals and putting it in, in a rotation year yeah. uh, into cover crops and grazing. Um, yeah. and, I, and everybody's like, oh, my God, what about the cow farts? Well, you're an idiot. Go do a little research and you'll figure that out. Um but here's the deal. 65 million buffalo did not have that wrong. Yeah, um, pretty right. sure that she was the, 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 you know, the big ball went around the sun pretty solid. Yes. A bunch of dudes started screwing this up, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and the role of ruminants in plains ecosystems is undeniably significant. Like there is no way from an, ecolo from an ecological perspective to work around that. Like it's, it's impossible. <laughs> so absolutely. You know, there's just, um, oh my God, I forget his name. The Australian guy who runs Cicero, the climate thing down there. He did a fantastic um, talk at Harvard a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll think of his name in a minute, but he talks about the whole methane problem. And, and mother nature had this deal figured out a long time ago. If you, as long as you have a water cycle, the water 
Water vapor goes up. It basically oxidizes the methane and turns it back into CO2 and water. And I mean, yeah. the whole system has been Mother Nature had this figured out long before yeah. we thought we were smart enough to figure it right. out. Right, right. And so, that's where that problem comes from. Is like we we've we've leaned into this system of control and mm-hmm. you know not allowing nature to have its balanced cycles, and we've created a system that's unbalanced by intention, Mm. by design. And it's not the cow, it's the how. I mean, if we can bring back livestock into our, you know, all of our farmlands, wherever appropriate, um, I know in Mm. some areas with zoning or whatever, it's just not a, it's not doable, but everywhere else, um, why wouldn't we, like, why wouldn't we bring in nature's fertilizer machine? Absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, and I think that a lot of the bad press comes from CAFOs. It's like, we look at like, why, you know, why cattle are bad? Well, we're cutting down the Amazon rainforest to graze cattle for two seasons. And then, you know, we go to a desert. Well, that's bad. Yes, that's not mm-hmm. where cattle are meant to be. It defies the laws of biomimicry. Um, you look at CAFOs, confined animal feeding units. That defies the laws of nature. Nowhere in nature does that ever happen with a ruminant. Putting mm-hmm. ruminants and greater grazers out on the plains. Like, look at the Serengeti. Look at, like, the Nature Channel talking about Kenya what is the predominant like ecosystem of the Serengeti? It's a grassland with lots of ruminants and intact predator cycles. So it's like, that's, <laughs> it's one area, what, one part of the world where we haven't come in and like dramatically impacted the ecosystem and we can still see how it was working thousands of years ago and how it still works today. We don't have that in the Great Plains. I mean, getting rid of the, the bison yeah. fundamentally changed that forever. Fundamentally, there was a uh, absolutely fantastic book written oh probably in the last ten years called Serengeti Rules mm-hmm. R U L E S mm-hmm. the rules Serengeti Rules and it was um, the Serengeti is the only place left on Earth um, that man has not touched mm-hmm. and altered the ecosystem in a large you could say the Tibetan Plateau to a degree but we didn't have a lot of data on the Tibetan. Ta- plateau from a long Mm -hmm. time ago well um watching when man came into the serengeti in the late 1800s and all the different things that have happened in that ecosystem that just the ecology of the area um is absolutely fascinating how it was manipulated but once again the own everything outside the borders Mm -hmm. of the park is falling apart because guys are farming it or grazing um a cow is a tool Mm -hmm. A wildebeest is a tool. A zebra is a tool. That lion is a tool, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that that ecosystem has not been disturbed with our human influence. And what I would say is our the audacity we have to think we can manipulate Mother Nature to bend to our will is one of the most shocking things if you really stop and, and dive it into is. The, the arrogance mm-hmm. of that. It is just unbelievable. So... If we take the, you know, everybody's tipped over in the Pacific Northwest because of the wolves or got introduced back over and the cattlemen, oh my God, the sky's falling. Um, the 65 million buffalo, no one talks about the 130 million antelope was the yeah. estimate. And elk. And, and, and no one talks, absolutely, and no one talks about the 2 million, the estimate was 2 million wolves mm-hmm. pushing them yeah. around. That lion is pushing the wildebeest, the wolf pushed the, pushed the, you know, the buffalo, and we use electric fence now. Mm-hmm. 
um, to to be the wolf, right? So to keep moving things along. But the wolves are literally um, bringing the high mountain forest in the Rockies back because the elk are just like fat cows up there. They just lay in the nice areas and destroy the <clears throat> the river systems. There's some fantastic work coming out of that. Um, seeing how the elk are, are, I'm sorry, how the wolves by moving the elk are reestablishing mm-hmm. the native habitat. It's it's fascinating. It is fascinating. Um, it's a lot more law of unintended yeah, consequence. Yeah, and it's a lot mm-hmm. more complicated. Like you can't just like read the first headline and then react and make up your decision. Like this requires some observation and some like more deeper thinking. Um, and I think that that's part of the problem mm-hmm. when everybody's like knee jerk reactionary to all these things. Usually it's because they haven't invested enough time to really stop and think and to stop and observe. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where like you're a sportsman, you have a very interesting background. I think you should tell our audience a little bit about like where you came from, how you got to be the Scott Gale that I know and love today. And, um, oh. and just, you know, like really what shaped you, like, what are those forces you, you spent some interesting time doing different things, um, you know, from growing up on a cattle farm, watching the extinction of that industry, essentially, um, small holder cattle mm-hmm. or dairy and, um, you know, it, to being like an actual professional sportsman to being military. So go ahead and Give us a quick nitty gritty well, bio on who's, who's Scott. <laughs> I'm so I mean I'm 51. I'll be um, 52 in January, and so I've now I've um, this will be kind of interesting. Um, so I get my hearing aids on December 1st, and and I'll be honest, I've put this off for the last few years, and I should have done this five years ago. But there was this stigma about like I'm not getting old. Well, so on December. <laughs> First, I'm going to get hearing aids. On November 15th, I'm going to go to the neurosurgeon, and they're going to tell me when they're going to do surgery on my back because I got two yeah. discs, two discs that are shot. And anyway, as I fall apart, I'm finally like, screw it. All right, let's just go put her all back together because we can get some good life out of this deal. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I grew up in Minnesota, and I was the last generation of the 30 to 50 cow dairy farm. Um, it was all tie stall barns, 30 to 50 cows. I went to a high school for Albany, Minnesota, Albany High School. Go Huskies. Um, <clears throat> I was a 1989 kid, class of 89. But um, when there was 400 kids in that mm-hmm. school, and three out of 400 of them, 300 out of 400 were dairy farm yeah. kids. Um, my nephew graduated from that same high school six years ago. I think there was 600 and something kids. And I don't think there was any dairy farm kids wow. in any of the class. Um, when I was back last year at my mom's at Thanksgiving, we drove around. Um, and I and just to be clear, I watched my dad go broke in dairying in the mm-hmm. 80s. So we had inflation gee i wonder what's going on today crazy interest rates gee i wonder what's going on today droughts gee i wonder what's going on today um it was this perfect storm and the bottom the legs were getting cut out from underneath the dairy industry and the dairy industry was pushing towards these mega farms and getting rid of the small mm-hmm. ones and and the craft macaroni and cheese plant it was in albany minnesota it still is it's just filled with mega dairies now but all those dairies are gone mm-hmm. all those farms are gone all the, the obviously the barns are there and the silos are there and every now and once in a while you would see a, a couple beef cows around these but they're all gone we've lost that whole thing and i'm not saying we should go back necessarily to that model i'm not saying we should go back to you know i'll be amish that's not my gig 
but this just <laughs> get big or go home thing has got to go away. But anyway, so that was the origin of that. And then I took off in the army and I always wanted to stay on the dairy farm. Um, it just wasn't going to be, but, um, and I love dairy farms more than anything. And I've told my friends, my good friends, if I ever get serious about buying a dairy farm, really serious about it, they need to find the closest two by four they can and hit me right square in the yeah. head. <laughs> so I don't actually do it. And, um, but then I took off in the army and, um, my whole life, all I ever wanted to do is jump out of planes and shoot dudes. I mean, that was my, I was an outdoor kid. You couldn't keep me inside to save your life. Yeah. And in wintertime, my mother used to scream at me as me and my buddies were going out in full-on blizzards to see if we could survive through the night, like winter camping, digging the egg. I'm not even joking. <laughs> in I Minnesota. Went, I had a good my time. My goodness. Yeah, that's hardcore. Oh, in Minnesota. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, we'd dig in, dig in snow caves into snow banks. We had a plethora of snow back then. And um, anyway, I took off to the Army, and I went to uh, 2nd Ranger Battalion at Fort Lewis and spent a good amount of time jumping out of airplanes and and um you learn a lot you learn um that to get the work done to get the mission yeah. done you you're with a good group of guys everybody volunteered to get there there was no hand me outs there was mm-hmm. <clears throat> they beat you up one side and down the other and you had to prove you wanted to be there and and so that was a pretty good time of life and then at the same time one too many times faster open out of a helicopter or jumping out of a plane i nuked my back pretty hard hence having back yeah. surgery i've already had a disc replacement surgery um, but I nuked my back pretty bad and, um, um, done with that and took off and, um, ended up in, uh, Montana as a hunting guide, Eastern Montana. I did some in Washington, mm-hmm. um, but I was a hunting guide and I spent five years of my life being outside and, and always around farmers and always attached, yep. you know, even I'm mean, a hunting guide, you're still attached to farmers every day because we're, I was a waterfowl guide. Mm-hmm. Ducks and geese are my deal. I got a PhD in killing ducks and geese and enjoy it. And it's not even about that. It's about the sunrises and being out yeah. there and going to Axton's place and, you know, and are the snow geese coming through and seeing buddies and yeah. um, things like that. So yeah. anyway, and all that led me to, there's a whole pile more in the middle, uh, but the agriculture never left me. Yeah. And, um, and in so doing, I've... Um, I, I, they're just they're Derek and I have talked about this ad nauseum. There, there just has to be a better way. Yeah. And we don't know exactly what right. it is, um, but we're going to figure yeah. it out. Yeah. And then and, we're building the um, parachute on the way down. Like success. once you commit to going, like, I love your quote, Scott, of what you always say about your biofarming group that you're like, our only prerequisite is that you ask the question of like, there's got to be a better way. Like, I don't really know what it is, mm-hmm. but I know that there's a better way and that that's the foundation. That's the starting point is just asking that question. So on that, there can't, yeah. uh, well, hang on just one sec. There just, there can't be, there's, I have two rules. There can't, no naysayers are allowed period. It's non-negotiable. They'll suck the life right yeah, out yeah. of you. And all they want to do is argue and never argue with an idiot. They'll Problem always Problem focus instead um, of solutions focus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I do a lot of talks and I tell people, if you have 0.01% interest in what I'm doing, I have days to talk to you. (laughs) If you don't have any interest or you don't think it's going to work, good luck on your journey. I used to spend a lot of time trying to convince people to do what I'm doing or Derek's doing or some version of that. 
I don't waste my time yeah. anymore. Time is precious. I only have so many farming cycles yeah. left. Yeah. So, no, anyway, I, I think that's, that's awesome. And um, speaking of Derek, um, Derek <coughs> just jumped on. I know he was busy doing some stuff on the farm. Um, <laughs> it's always the perils of like coordinating time with active farmers because that's a busy lifestyle. It's hard to it's hard to juggle it all. So Derek, welcome. Thank you. Sorry. My apologies for being late. I just lost track of time and Anyway, here it's we are. It's all good. So we'll, yeah. we can jump in. When- it's all good. <laughs> well, we've been having a great time. Scott and I have just been talking about just that this entire journey of, you know, like their biofarming group and really high level, it, just thinking about regenerative systems and the arrogance of thinking we could control nature instead of like shifting our systems to working with nature, like, and, and using nature as a teacher and seeing how human systems can mimic that as like one of the kind of fundamental drivers of regenerative. So it, you know, I, for our listeners who are, who have been listening, because we've, we've only been recording for just over probably 10, 15 minutes, but Derek, I'd love for you to take a minute and just introduce yourself for those who are listening and aren't familiar with your work, which is really cool. You guys have so many awesome projects going on. If you could take the next few minutes and just tell us about you, where you grew up and who you are and, um, what you do today and how you got there. Oh, sure. Okay. You're right. So I am, <laughs> yeah, I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. Yeah. If, if, if I'm going off the rails, let me know. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I'm Derek Axton. Uh, I farm in Minton, Saskatchewan with my family. We are, my wife's heavily involved. Um, as, as our kids and my father still is today, he's 79. He's upstairs drinking coffee in our office right now. Um, and so I think I'm fourth generation, you'd say here, uh, our farm's about a little over a hundred years old and it's been ever expanding, but basically what happened to me, I guess how I got here the quick version is, uh, in 2006, I wound up in South Dakota buying a, a low disturbance cedar thinking that we wanted to conserve moisture. That was sort of the, the beginning. Cause I live in a very moisture limited environment, um, rain mm. is by, what's your rainfall up there we're, they, they say 10 to 12 inch annual with snow uh like this season yeah. we had eight inches of in-season rain which was phenomenally great um yeah um but that's definitely and where exactly are you guys like where like give us a little geography the lesson. easiest way to find saskatchewan's a huge huge area yeah <laughs> so we are i was actually just i could throw a rock to the u.s line about 10 minutes ago um, we've just bought some land right down, right actually on the border. Um, but mm-hmm. our farm is 12 miles north of the Port of Raymond, Montana, which is, if you can imagine where North Dakota and Montana meet, basically it's an extreme Eastern Montana and we're, we're 12 miles north. So it's okay. kind of high, you know, sim- similar to high plains. Um, yeah. Yeah. Glacial till lots of rocks, lots of topography. Like our farm literally, yeah. On the west side of our farm is where the big muddy valley starts, and that's the badlands, and there's no one farms there. So it kind of gives you an idea of our fragility. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, so uh, meeting Dr. Bat, went to South Dakota, um, met back the first time, and that was kind of the beginning of, you know, and then from there, it was, and I met Gabe in 2010, and and just the whole idea yeah. of, of you know, a con- it's funny that we're using the word context now, but that was one of the first things that Beck told me was to look at your native systems Right. And, and, and that, that should be, that should be the model. And prior to that, we weren't doing a very, well, we're still not there, but you know, when you look at west of our farm a mile, there's, there's native grass and there's 128 
give or take 130 species, you know, 80 or 85% of those are predominantly grasses. Wow. And we weren't doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, we were growing three crops, um, lots yeah. of low carbon crops and. Yep. And it's been quite interesting. It's been quite a journey. So it, yeah. And it takes time to make that transition. So you, you kind of had that, that epiphany moment where you're like, wait a minute, I'm going to just change the way I'm looking at my farm and my farming system. And back in 2008, 2010. So we, you've had some, some time to ramp up and actually make some significant changes and you guys are doing a really good job. What, what were the first things you did? Um, I guess when we met back, like between like 07 and 10, it was like, you know, low disturbance seating, stripper headed, all the kind of the mechanical things, right? Um, the stuff that we thought made us a no-till farmer. And and, yeah. and then, you know, meeting Gabe and, and, and Gabe's only five hours for me, right? So, you know, uh-huh. as far as yeah. soils and rain and crop types, and we're close enough that we can imagine the difference. Uh so in, in 2011, we started intercrop after I seen Gabe and re- seen the power, you know, the diversity at, at his farm. So we started intercropping, which is growing two crops together and separating them after in 2011. And then that grew to kind of be half of what the crops we grow in, 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 in a year. And then my wife, uh, we, my wife took the Laningham's Life and Soils courses, not there, not long after. And then, so we started, mm-hmm. you know pulling out synthetic fertility and then messing around with biological things. And that's basically led us where we are today. Um, I guess kind of with the exception of, and I don't know what year it was when I met Sarah Harper the first time and mm-hmm. kind of got the idea that maybe, maybe these, maybe our crops and our foods that we grow could actually be in their own stream. And it didn't even cross my mind until I heard her present for the very first time you know, something along the lines of, of what organic is done, but not organic, obviously. Yeah. And just even, you know, there's this fundamental transition when farmers go from thinking about their crops as commodities and start thinking about growing food. And when you do pull in that more vertically integrated model, or you're like more connected with the food side of it, I think it, it changes the way you look at these farm outputs. They go from being this kind of economic metric to being like, oh my gosh, this is this is food. And, you know, unfortunately, so many of our agricultural areas in North America are food deserts. And so like the the disconnect with food runs deep. I mean, it runs deep on many, many levels. And I love how you guys are really pulling that in. And that's a lot of work. And so if you could um, also give our listeners a little um, update about where you guys are at as far as going, you know, really saying, okay, we, we want to have that um, transparency we we want to grow really good quality food and we want to keep that provenance and actually bring it through the value chain which is all these processing steps that most consumers are completely unaware of um, especially with grains and pulses and things that require that processing Um, and now you guys have a vertically integrated model on farm which is is remarkable i mean not very many people can pull that off and it is very hard work and you know we've had some we have some really close friends and people on our team like tim corney down in buell idaho and and he's been on the show as well and we've talked about the challenges of being vertically integrated and how that presents a whole another challenge and i for the remainder of the show i would love for us to kind of hone in on that that focus a little bit and how critical the this um navigating the journey from field to fork like once it leaves the field and how it gets to consumers and why that is actually the big linchpin in this whole system like there's a lot of farmers that want to farm differently i have more farmers coming to me than we could possibly put to work because they want to grow for snacktivist 
they, they, they are already like, we want to do something different. We want to grow more, more biodiversity. We want to add value to our different crop rotations, but it's all those broken pieces in the middle that really make it difficult to get that done. Yep. No, you're hundred percent right. And, you know, we were pretty fortunate. So we were in this planning phases of this facility I'm at now, our, our seed cleaning, because originally it was going to be just an intercrop, you know, because we did intercrops and we worked outside mostly all winter to separate our intercrops and get them back, right back to what, you, you know, commodity grains again, right? So we could sell them and actually get cash because no one buys mixes. So we decided after five or six winters of doing that, mm-hmm. that that was enough. And with this, I mean, it was all the same time when I had met Sarah <laughs> And I was like, so we just kind of made some changes to our, our plant design and, and so we could like get to the food grade, you know, we're, we're HACCP certified today. We're, we're looking at a couple of other certifications, but it's sort of going to be kind of what our customers drive us to. Cause like, like, as you know, there's so many. Yeah. Um, oh, and they're expensive and very yeah. burdensome from an administrative standpoint. Um, it's a huge investment in time and money. Yes, exactly. So, um, yeah, that we've been here for two years now, operational as been doing like basically bulk whole grains, um, and we can do totes. But uh, we're in the process. We're probably I shouldn't say days away, but very very close. We're adding a packet like a semi automated packaging line and flour mill, so we can do whole grain. It's a <laughs> it's a unifying same. Um, so we can do whole grain flours mm-hmm. and nice. package. And we'll see what comes from there. Uh, and, you know, because we've made the transition away from yeah. commodity grains to more, like, I don't grow anything I I would consider a commodity grain anymore. It's all specialty. Ancient cereals. Yeah. Ancient, yeah. Yeah. Like, what, what is your typical crop rotation, you know, variety looking like right now. It's probably, I'm guessing it's pretty large. So it might take you a second to tell us. So the, <laughs> the, the big three cereals that we're growing now are, are, are Corzan wheat, um, spelt mm-hmm. and we grow a hullless oat so we can mm-hmm. see the challenge with bringing oats to market is, is that the, the dehulling process is cumbersome and expensive and you have to have huge scale to make it. So we found there's a variety actually that was developed yeah. in Canada that is naturally hullless. Yeah. And that's, so we found that yes. and we're growing it. And it, those are fantastic. Yes. That's a game changer. I mean, I have to say it's like, you know, there's always this tension point of like ancient grains and then the other extreme, which is GMO. And then all the, the bazillion little layers in between those two, <laughs> which is cereal breeding and classic genetics. And, and there are some, you know, I, I know some people who are really militant, you know, like anti any tampering. And then, of course, the ones that are super hardcore the other way, like let's GMO everything to quote unquote perfection. And um, I have a huge respect for all that middle ground, like to to be able to select for a trait that is desirable, like a holus oat that allows, you know, a great high quality food to be to reach more mouths because of, you know, selecting out a trait that didn't necessarily mean for an easy path to market and doesn't really impact the agronomy too much from what I understand. I mean, it doesn't like affect yield or anything like that. It's, it's pretty fantastic science, honestly. Yeah, no, it's, it's really unique one. Stuff. Yeah. Cause it, they, and it's funny cause the, the breeding program kind of fell apart because they, like they lost their funders because, you know, I mean, to be perfectly honest, the, the large oatmailers didn't really want it to exist, you know, and that's where some of the funding yeah. was coming from because it doesn't, exactly. it doesn't fit their model. Um, and the other unique mm-hmm. thing about this variety is it's, it's, it's really high in protein. It was one of the things that came out yeah. when they selected. So, you know, we're in this kind of 16 yeah. to 18% protein. Higher protein content. 
And hey, and Derek, I don't know because I'm not a farmer, but I, I feel like somewhere along the line, I heard that it's more drought tolerant too. These... I don't know if that if you're seeing that or not. Yeah, I guess the, I, I suppose drought is kind of a relative term, but um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's but, the truth. Uh, yeah, it does. They do well, and oats. I mean, oats are just natural. They have great, robust rooting systems, and that we like growing oats because they're yeah. great for the ground, you know. And then it just it it fits in so yeah. many ways. But Super oats haven't cool. been bastardized like wheat has right you know so you could take mm-hmm. oats back to more of the original lines versus a modern dwarf wheat soft white winter wheat that we plant here in in the p and w pacific northwest you know oats has yeah. really retained all that and i think yeah. a big part of that also is um you know we went away from a lot of these old varieties because they lodged fell over they were you know they every disease in the world would get them and and kill them and then you'd have to ask yourself well if the disease if it's here today and disease hasn't wiped it out why is it wiping it out now is it because of the variety isn't good or is it because oh i don't know modern farming techniques and practices yeah <laughs> if you take an old variety of wheat and pump 100 units of nitrogen to it um i'm gonna go with you get what you deserve but if i under the what we know now about farming and fertilizer strategies and foliar feeding and different things, I believe, um, and I'm going to put a full court press on this over the next probably five years that we can bring back a lot of these fantastic varieties Mm -hmm. that are nutrient dense. And we'll get to this in a little bit, but actually um, because of our understanding of farming them, we'll be able to do a much better job, grow a lot of old varieties that we just yep. couldn't, that everyone went away from. And then you, mm-hmm. when you ask them, why'd you go away from it? Well, because, you know, agronomist told me, academia told me, go get this, go imagine this, the seed company who, you know, who, who told me. The um, spray company. Like <laughs> the spray, exactly. And oh, also rough. food, you know, the pressure from big food. And I feel like big food kind of does hold agriculture hostage by going, Hey, well, we want to buy, and this is our spec sheet. This is what we need it to be. Well, a lot of the spec sheets are unobtainable without using chemical intensive, you know, forced irrigated methods. Like it's like you're forcing wheat to do something that is somewhat unnatural, but then there's people like, you know, California wheat commission and their labs where they've actually shown in the lab that they can still make comparable products out of non-spec wheat that performs fine. So it's kind of like a fallacy that's driving agriculture in the wrong direction, if you ask me. <laughs> so I'm glad that, you know, like Derek, with what you're doing, you're kind of taking that that path to market back. And you're saying, look, let's put these great ancient grains, um, regeneratively grown on the market. Let's not sell into the major co-ops and major verticals. Like, you know, there's only five big real buyers globally for spec commodities you know really um you know like the big 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 ones and you know i think that we're our our it's like the buckminster fuller quote like you know if if you don't like the way things are done build a better way of doing it and eventually that will happen because the 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 system will change seeing that you offer a better model and i think that that's what you guys are doing and i know we out here in the spokane in the spokane area and in the northwest have been like hey look like how can we learn from axton farm how can we maybe take a similar approach out here in the pacific northwest so that we can give our farmers here access to new and novel channels and paths to market that are not reliant on these big old school co-ops and big corporate buying channels that have been there for decades and driving the wrong system yeah 
Sorry, that was a lot in one one phrase. Got to breathe after that. <laughs> no, no, you're right. I mean, and, and there's 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 so many other ways we can you can talk about this too. I mean, part of Will Harris is a big inspiration of mine. Um, and and what he what he's got a lot of rooster cock and what he did like with his community, <laughs> you know. And you can sit back and watch your community die, or you can do something about it, right? And there's and yeah. It, I think what we are doing here is 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 you can this can be rep. rep replicated in many communities and many towns all over you know we we're, yeah. we're providing jobs and and you know uh, that normally wouldn't be here normally you put it on a truck and it goes away along with the jobs you know and a lot of potential yes mm-hmm. you know it's interesting you talk about that derek because i spend i in all of my talks i do i always wrap it back to rebuilding our communities and you know um i'm getting i'll take off here in a few weeks and go hunt in eastern montana and it's near and dear to my heart um over on the yellowstone river and this will be our 23rd or 24th year of going over there i used to guide over there um but you have these communities over there and they're littered throughout washington um they're littered throughout every state you have hospitals you have schools you have housing you have main streets that are all dying and dilapidating Mm because everyone's moving out to the city for some reason i can't possibly understand the jobs are there i don't know there's a help wanted sign on every building here no one's working at them um Mm -hmm. but now with the internet with the what derek's talking about building facilities like this we can actually rejuvenate and, and rebuild those communities and 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 a lot of what i say to um growers is it's not just your communities. Do you want your kids to come back? Yeah. Do you want your grandkids to come back? You know, why don't they? And, and we have to take this at, at a bigger level, right? And, and community is not something you destroy overnight. We have, uh, and it's not something we're going to rebuild overnight, but you have to have a concerted effort and a whole lot of, you know, open, honest, unedited conversation um, about what it's going to take to make that happen. And, and if, if we want to rebuild them, um, we have to start with food. And as Derek said, I, I, perfect. As soon as it hits a truck, I, we don't even think it's gone. Where did it go to? Where did those nutrients go to? And for us in the PNW, almost all of it goes to Southeast Asia. So mm-hmm. we're shipping a pile of nutrients to Southeast Asia. Is that good? Sure. Is it bad? Sure. Right. I mean, but there's a, there's a blend in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we have to be intentional about our actions and we have to be able to sit, Joni, you hit it on the head earlier. Um, we have to truly deep think about it. Marcus Aurelius said it perfectly. You've been given the ability to think, use it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> literally could be considered the most powerful man ever in the history of human beings. Yeah. Um, and uh, the deepest thinker, one of the deepest thinkers we know of. But we have to do this and we have to do it with intention. And Derek has a model that's absolutely fantastic. And him and I have talked about it and replicating that in different places, maybe in Washington, um, and bringing these jobs back and, and good jobs, good jobs, not just yeah. room pushing minimum wage crap, yeah. but real good jobs. And jobs with pride. I mean, that's the thing that people forget mm-hmm. about. It's one thing making a living. It's one thing like, oh, you go to work, you do your job, you get paid. It's quite another when you go to work and you feel important and you feel like you're contributing and you have like a sense of integrity mm-hmm. that surrounds what you do. And like we mm-hmm. need to reassert ourselves in the food sector as being critical members of society. It's a very important job from farming to value added processing. We're going to have um, 
we're going to have some friends who run a co-manufacturing plant in Spokane, um, the founders of Bumble Bar on here soon, I think next week. And we're going to talk about like how they've lived under the shroud. Like no one talks about manufacturing. They're the people who never have pictures anywhere. You never hear the stories of the people that are running those lines and begging those things. And it's, it's an, it's a high integrity job in my mind because it's the lifeblood of what keeps humanity alive. And we've got to change the way we look at this. These are high integrity positions. Absolutely. And then also <clears throat> and the other good part is <clears throat> we can automate, right? You know, and, mm -hmm. and the automation side, we used to have, a, I used to have to have a bunch of guys to, to stack 50 pound sacks on pallets. Mm -hmm. We used to have to walk around the pallets, turn the pallets, you know, now, um, yeah. For Christ's sake, I was over in uh, Brian Anderson, Anderson Organics in the in the basin, one of the largest onion organic onion producers in the state, and his line is incredible. Yeah. And what you what you turn into is is you actually have higher paid people because you have to keep the automation going. Yeah. Um, someone standing there from side to side throwing 50 pound sacks all day gets a back like Scott and has to go have surgery. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. But, but we're smarter than it. And we have the technology and, and, and computers mm -hmm. and things coming along to help us in this journey. Yeah. You know, I, I got to see one of those robotic um, pallet loaders in action down at um, the Carlson's plant at Tefco down in Boise where they, they're the biggest Tef producer in our region. And, it was fantastic because they can stack a pallet faster and prettier and more balanced than humans can. Mm -hmm. And the guys were excited because they're like, man, we all have back problems, but we want we're lifers. We want to live here forever. Now we get to keep our job and, and not throw, not ruin our backs. So I think that that is a really awesome use case of how automa automation and robotics and stuff can like revolutionize these industries and make them better, you know, and safer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, that's, I think exactly the same way. That's what we thought too. We want to have someone that's, that's, we're putting the same thing, automated robotics stackers, because I want people who can operate those here. You know, those are the kind of people we want to have around, smart thinkers and yep. yeah, no. problem yeah. solvers, right? And if, if you're stacking up, if your only job is to stack a pallet and push a broom, you're not solving other problems yep. or you're mm -hmm. too, you hurt too damn much or you, we yeah. need people with the ability to solve problems. I don't need more people that are going to create more problems. That's our, <laughs> yeah. that's, and we have to move forward and, and, and Derek can attest to this. I guess we all really could how hard it is to find good labor. And when mm -hmm. I'm not talking labor is the broom pusher. I'm talking someone, one of my good friends owns a pretty large agronomy fertilizer business. And we were having this conversation because they wanted to hire an agronomist. So you already have to be in this business. You already have to have certain certifications. You already have to have to have to. And I said, what do you think the odds of finding a good agronomist doing the things we're talking about? What do you think the odds of finding that person? I mean, 5% maybe if you're lucky you know, that's not, you know, steeped deep into the status quo and, and want to do things different and change and, and um, that you have to unteach. There's just so many, so many issues and, and things that we have to hit these, hit these problems head on with the right people. Once again, you mm -hmm. have to have a bus, 
I tried to do this by myself for a long time and then that gets a little overwhelming. So what do you do? Sport. You get the bus. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and you have it, you have the bus and you got to put the right place, people in the right seats. And I've always said it, I am not a smart guy. I'm just smart enough to put the smartest people in the room. That's my gig. <laughs> and, and that's what we have to do. So you're smart, Scott. You've got to stop saying that. You're smart. You're a thinker. <laughs> well, I'm a thinker. That's my problem. <laughs> it never stops. That's not a problem. So like Derek, with, with you guys building your plant, you know, and building that out and you're in a rural area. I mean, I'm sure the naysayers were like, well, you're going to build this thing. How are you going to get people to run it? And, you know, that's where, again, that kind of push pull with automation. It's not like running a mill a hundred years ago where everything was very labor intensive. Um, you know, what have, what have been some of the things you guys have run up against that have been a challenge or have been easier than you thought they'd be? Um, well, so far labor hasn't been bad yet. Uh, the few things part of what we're trying to do here too, is, is provide good jobs. So, I mean, we're not, we're not, you know, I think we want to say we, we pay more than fairly. And, and, and another thing I love about what Mm -hmm. we do too, is that we can be super flexible. We have enough people that if someone needs to go on Tuesday, they can go. Or if they something comes up, I mean, we're not, we're never, we're never rigid. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah, that's and that's huge. And I, a lot of what happens too is because we are doing really unique things that that people want to come here sometimes to learn. We have a lot of summer interns. Um, even some of our employees are, are here simply because they like what we're doing and the fact that we're doing things that are unique or you know environmentally mm-hmm. beneficial. Uh, there's kind of yeah. a little bit of everything. So, yeah. And what, what products are you guys selling right now on the market? I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but you know, like if somebody like one of our listeners is like, Ooh, Axton farms. Cool. Like I want to learn more about this. Like what products do you guys have on the market available today for consumers? The, honest, actually with our name on it, nothing. Um, and I, I think it may possibly stay that way for quite a while. There are people like you, Joni, that are doing a really good job of are already filling that space. And I, we want to, our goal, and I guess our dream is, and I, you know, um, we're doing some of it now, supplying companies who already have shelf space, who are already doing that. I mean, yeah, as you know, that it's a job on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a brutal job at that. Right. So <laughs> it's kind of the really extra masochistic part of the food industry, it's dealing with distributors and retailers, you know? Exactly. And I don't My think goodness. we just don't have the bandwidth. So I think for us, the idea yeah. is to find companies who want to change their ingredient stream for, for whatever reason. Um, and it, it varies. Yeah. Uh, we, so we've got, we've got Camelina that goes to a company in Quebec that produces a uh, cooking oil. Camelina, if you're not familiar, mm-hmm. is a, it's a brassica, but it has an omega profile like flax. So it has, but it also mm-hmm. has a high smoke point so you can cook with it. Um, so our Cam- yeah. Camelina goes there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we supply yellow mustard seed to burlap and barrel. Uh, if, uh, they're out of New York. If you want, yeah, the yellow yeah. mustard seeds that they sell are, are come from us. Cool. Uh, nice. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I know them. That's really we cool. We were one of the, <laughs> nice. like they were still in the apartment, I think when we started with them it, when, and I, I don't even remember yeah. how we got together, but it's, yeah, they're, they're great. Those guys are doing amazing, awesome things. Um, yeah, we, and, and when we've got like spelt going to various, various flour mills, like, uh, I guess one we're supplying spell to, to wheat Montana, <laughs> interestingly enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then some mills, <laughs> some, works. yeah, some mills down East and that's probably the closest thing. Mm-hmm. And 
What else am I thinking about? Oh, we just started. Um, it's it's quite small, but there's a as a startup out of out of your state. Uh, this Ojazwe, Ash, and I'm gonna butcher her last name, but um. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Ash. Ash so we've been. Yes, yes, I know. I I have a hard time with her. Ash, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I need to. I'm going to master the pronunciation. I'm not even going to She's fantastic and doing amazing stuff. So Mm -hmm. she was up here two months ago and came to the farm and we toured and showed. Yeah. So they're, they're getting some chickpeas from us and some, some of the hollow soul and she's working on developing some products that we're really excited Mm -hmm. about. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. This is super cool. I'm going to, I'm going to have to talk to you about these holos oats as well. <laughs> it's been on my to-do <laughs> list and I was like, Oh cool. Well, I'll be seeing Derek via video um, here soon. So um, we, we do need to talk about that offline because we've got some projects go- kicking off that we, we might need some of your holos oh. oats as well. So it's kind of fun how that comes together. And honestly, you think about like the, the way that food used to be done, food is a relationship. Food is a relationship driven interaction. I mean, really, I mean, food's how humans commune with nature. Really, it's like that touch point, food and water and air. And also, it's like how we commune as people. Like, you think about, oh, like, what, what's the act that somebody does if you know that they love you? Well, they cook you dinner or they take you out to dinner. Or it's, it's very often food related. So I love that it's like that we've got to put the relationship piece back into our food system. And that, that has been effectively robbed over like decades of super industrial um, you know, processing and, and the way the food system has operated the last few decades. So I love that you guys are bringing it back at scale. I mean, it's like what Snackdose wants to do too. It's like, how do we bring that relationship back, but still at scale to where it's, you can get it at the grocery store. You don't have to go to the farmer's market. If you're a nurse, like I was for so long, you don't get to go to the farmer's market because you work every damn Saturday, you know? So it's like, where's that middle ground? Like, how do you get people, how do you give them permission to get back into that relationship community feel that surrounds food? And you guys are doing a fantastic job. And Scott, the work that you guys do at, at Farm Smart is just an inspiration. I'm super happy to be part of your team. <laughs> I feel lucky. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think um, a lot of that, you know, is um, we've lost the, the problem with these little gizmos we have in our pockets all the time is we're losing our ability just to communicate, right? You know, it's no different than you go into a restaurant and you'll see the couple, a young couple, even older couples, it's shit, it's everybody now. I mean, you go to a restaurant to exact, go on a date to, to spend time with this person you love, right? If, if you're in a relationship and they're on their phones the entire time, you go there yeah. with your buddies and they're on their phones the entire time. But what we've lost in, in a bigger scale at home is is that cooking because everything is convenience. Everybody wanted convenience mm-hmm. and be, care- be careful what you wish for because you'll get it. And this convenience mm-hmm. in a lot of these different ways, and this is that deep thinking part we were alluding to earlier, this convenience is, is the costs being associated with this and just families. Where are the families... You know, I was watching this documentary a, a couple of years ago with a friend of mine and it was um, one of these... It was in Italy. It was a population because they were centurions, the most centurions of over a hundred years. And what was it? And well, yeah, they walk up the hill and they walk down the hill every day and and there's not a lot of cars, but there was cooking. It was Mm -hmm. community amongst them things. They'd spend all day Sunday. And this person I was watching this with is like, I don't want to spend all day cooking. I don't care if I lose 10 years or 20 years. Now, funny, fast forward to just recently, that same exact person was like, we have got to get back to some form of family and cooking and community. And, and the, the value is not just in the food. 
But if you're going to yeah. go to that trouble, you'll go get the right food. So that you have all these laws of unintended con- consequences that are going to fall into place. But yeah. it's spending time with your family and mm-hmm. throwing these stupid gizmos in the garbage, at least for the day. And yeah. um, Even you know, one mom, hour at night, an hour at night while you cook and eat together and then clean up together. Absolutely. You know, uh, I mean, it's mom not mom's job year, to do all that stuff. It's got to be like the, the family, right? You know, so. Absolutely. And all the kids on their little whatever. But my yeah. mom last year and all moms listening or all kids going to moms for Thanksgiving. My mother last year had and it was announced ahead of time. So no one was caught off guard. No phone Thanksgiving. Don't yeah. bring that damn thing in the house. Don't turn it on. Yeah. And um, it, it was good. Do you know what people did? We talked. We played cards for hours on end. Yeah. We ate good food. We drank good wine. Maybe a little yeah. too much. I mean, we just had a blast. <laughs> no phone. Yeah. It was fantastic. Absolutely yeah. Fantastic. Puts the human back in humanity. It's um, and then we re- mm-hmm. remember why we love each other and what why we like to spend time together because we're not being reminded anymore of why we should be like you know adversarial. So I think that's mm-hmm. an awesome wrap up. And you know, Derek, as far as you like, as far as takeaway points, and I'm sorry we kind of shortchanged you. We'll just have to have you back sometime so we can talk some more about things and um. There, because there's you know literally hours of things we could talk about, but um you know as far as takeaway points for our audience and people listening, like what kind of things could they do to if if they're completely new to regenerate regenerative agriculture and regenerative food systems, and a lot of our listeners they are like this is like their gateway drug to like thinking about the world in a new way. What would you recommend that they do to get started and start to participate in this movement? Oh gosh, there's a lot of things. Um... I mean, if you like reading, there's there's so many books, right? You know, um, any of David Ann's or, you know, Gabe Brown's book, John Stitka's book, there's so many good ones. Um, but, <laughs> gosh, you know, I, you kind of caught me off guard there. Um, I know. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I guess, obviously, right? What do you do for your kids? Oh. What do you do for your kids are amazing, by the way. Like, I don't know them personally, but I'm always impressed. And um, yeah, like, what do you what what's meaningful to you guys at home? A lot of what we did was every time we took a family vacation in the summer from the time that they were probably two or three years old, we, we'd usually like generally wind ourselves up in the States at a, at a field day. You know, going out and, and and meeting new people and learning new things, and all of those trips is yeah. what's led us well why I'm here today. You know, and, and it got them involved. And you know, I know my, my daughter's even been on a couple of panels because she was raised this way. You know, she her her perspective on agriculture is yeah. completely different than her friends, and you know, yeah. and that's driven her forward to you know now she's out in Nova Scotia taking international food business and hopefully going to come home and show us so cool show us the next steps. Yeah, pick up the reins and take it to the next level. And I mean, that's what it's all about. It's, um, I think that's one of the things I love so much about this entire community that's involved with regenerative systems and regenerative ag is like, it's people who really care more about the future than we care about ourselves. And we're willing to work our asses off to make sure we leave a legacy that they deserve, you know? And that's a, that's a different mindset. I think that's what makes this community so special and so fun to be around. It's really amazing. Yeah, yeah. And it's an unbelievably small so, world. Yeah. So real quick, cause we're going to wrap it up. We've just got a couple more minutes. Um, Derek, if someone wants to get in touch with you, they want to reach out to you. They want to learn more. Where are the places they should go? Like websites or an email or, you know, Ooh, 
Where where do you hang out? How do they find you? Um, I guess <laughs> we have a we have a website. It's it's axtonfarms.ca. So yeah, a x t e n farms.ca, and uh, we're on Instagram. That's kind of the only social media we do. And yeah, yeah. I mean, our emails, everything's on there. I, I've got some presentations on YouTube if people want to know what I'm really thinking. And cool. It's yeah. Yeah. And we have a hundred percent open door policy. Um, we've toured everybody from consumers to customers to anything in between. Love it. That's super cool. And Scott, what about you? If people want to get in touch with you and, ha- you know, talk to you, learn more about what you're doing, your, your bio farming group, et cetera, how do they find you? Um, I'm pretty easy to find uh, Spokane conservation district. You can go there, but <clears throat> I just want to say something on, on your, on what you would do. Um, so there's a little simple little chart that says food, arrow, modern, arrow, unhealthy person. The next one is food, arrow, nutrient, dense, healthy person. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. And I'm all in on this nutrient density deal, 1,000% yeah. pushing ahead with groups. across Dan Kittredge, Bionutrient, pushing across oh, yeah. the country. So and cool. what can consumers do? I do a lot of talks. And I started doing talks to consumer groups and um, League of Women Voters. I did one for them. You vote with your dollar, Yeah. period. End of story. You are directly in control of your checkbook. So just start out by buying one thing. Buy yeah. something different than you normally do. Buy something that you don't put in a microwave. Mm-hmm. One thing. <laughs> you vote with your dollar. Yeah, right. And it doesn't have to be doing it perfect all across the board, like starting no. one day. Like one little thing at a time. Like just identify like one thing that you could improve the quality on. Like maybe it's eggs and you're like, oh, there is someone down the road who sells eggs. Maybe I'll buy them from them. And that will mm-hmm. be my one effort point starting out. Because once you see how beautiful those are, and I'm allergic to eggs, I can't even eat them. But when I crack them open and I grew up on a chicken farm, I mean, holy cow, you go, you look at a store-bought egg, you look at one that was grown down the street. They're not even the same food in my book. They're both an egg, but they're apples and oranges. So Abs- I think that's, a, that's awesome advice. So Scott we, um, and Derek, we will share links and contact information for people. So when they listen to this and they want to track you down and, and learn more, they'll be able to find you. But thank you so much for joining us. Like this was so much fun. I kind of, I'm kind of sad we don't have more time because I feel like we could have an entire other segment. So we might just have to have a, 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 a second Uh, the second session, maybe after the new year. So thanks for joining us today. And for those of you who are listening, um, please take the moment, um, rate this. If you're watching, if you're listening on a platform that allows you to rate or add comments and then make sure to share with your friends, because that's the most important thing right now with growing this regenerative momentum is that sharing the story. And that's the point of this podcast is to give people who are dedicating their lives to this movement, a place to tell their stories. And we can have an ethnography of all these people who are leading the way towards a better future. So make sure to share and thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us on the regenerative by design podcast. If you would like to learn more about the principles of regenerative food systems and agriculture, please see the show notes for links to education, a glossary, and guest information. This podcast was brought to you by Snacktivist Inc., a leader in the regenerative food industry. We create delicious foods from regenerative ingredients that are soil-focused, minimize water use, and maximize carbon sequestration, all while radically impacting human nutrition. Learn more about our work at snacktivistfoods.com.